reminder, there is a friend like no other in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you sang a second ago, He knows all about our struggles. So whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever's occupying your mind, whatever those thoughts that keep on speaking into your mind that you can't seem to shake, Jesus knows every one of them. And He's got an answer for them. In just a couple of weeks, uh, about a week and a half, I am going to be flying out, heading to Africa, to the country of Uganda. It'll be my fourth trip to Uganda that I will be making. And I'll be leaving to go there for uh, about a little over a week to be engaged in training pastors through the Pastor Training Center at Abana's Hope with Four Corners Ministries. Many of you know that I've spoken several times, many times on Wednesday night as we've been praying strategically on Wednesday night for some of the ministries of Four Corners Ministries, but many of you may not be aware that I am on the board of directors for an organization that does mission work in Central Africa, uh, um, in northern Uganda, among the Acholi people, but also among the South Sudanese refugees that have been relocated to northern Uganda right now. So part of the ministry that we have with Four Corners Ministries, as we have been there for about seven years on this property, and we've been trying to share the gospel with people who, many of whom have never heard the name of Jesus, and those of whom who have heard the name of Jesus have really not heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we encountered in this ministry is that really the greatest need in Africa right now, the, you will hear mission stories telling you that the gospel is spreading across Africa, that the, message, that the church is growing, that the Christian movement is spreading across Africa, especially what they call sub-Saharan Africa, which is, which is the, the middle to lower portion of Africa. And that is true. The church has been advancing there. But unfortunately, one of, the, one of the things that has happened is that the prosperity gospel has taken root in Africa. And so a lot of the churches that are being started there and the messages that are being preached are nothing more than prosperity gospel messages that do not save and do not call people into a true and living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we began to encounter pastors and churches in the area around us, we found that many of them couldn't actually articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them had never been trained in how to preach and teach God's word. Many of them had never been trained in biblical theology. So it became a conviction of our heart that we needed to do something about that, that God had sovereignly placed our ministry in a property in northern Africa and that we were called to do something to bring gospel clarity to the, the country of Africa. And so we began a, a partnership to train pastors that began in January of this year and we have 48 pastors that we have invited into a pastor training center. We bring them onto our campus for three times a year and we take them through a two-week study during that, during that time in which we're trying to teach them what the gospel is and what God's Word says and how to accurately preach and teach God's Word and how to lead gospel-centered, Bible-saturated churches in Africa. And so when I leave in two weeks, that's what I'm going to be a part of is engaging in that. Now, one of the great honors of my heart is that Central Park Baptist Church has stepped up in a huge way to help partner in that endeavor. And so even through your harvest offering gifts, one of the ways that your harvest offering gifts is being used is to help train one of these pastors through our harvest offering. In addition to that, we've had individuals who have been praying and have stepped up and said, we as a family want to help sponsor one of those pastors. 
And so out of those 48 pastors, a number of them are being sponsored financially through this church, and I appreciate that very much. And I want to ask you to pray for me as I begin to prepare to go to Africa. I have a lot of personal preparation I need to do, not only in just what I need to pack and what all needs to go, but, but the training that I'm going to be giving these individuals. And so pray for me as I do that. But I want to ask you to pray even more specifically for these 48 pastors. Before I leave, I hope to give you a, a list of these pastors and the tribes that they are from so that you can pray specifically for these men by name. But over the next two Sundays, I want to give you a little glimpse as to what is going on in our pastor training center because I think it's easier when you can connect faces and names and stories. It makes missions real. And so I want to show you a video this morning of one of our pastors in our pastor training center, a man by the name of Richard Yanga, and I want you to hear his story so you'll know a little bit about how to pray for him. So watch the video if you would. Uh, I am... Younger Richard, a South Sudanese, by tribe of uh, Bari. This is Richard Yanga. The Bari tribe is located in and around Juba City, the capital of South Sudan. Richard was one of 12 children born to his mother and father. Six, that's half of his siblings have died. So two, two were killed during uh, the war that we had in South Sudan and uh, four, four died previously while they were still young. On December 15th of 2013, war erupted in Juba. Life was becoming very hard. Uh, it was very hard to move out from home. You had to just be inside. And even it was very hard, of course, to access food. So life was difficult. Faced with continual gunshots and potential starvation, Richard's family made the decision to leave Juba and travel south to Uganda. But the insecurity was very terrible. It was not an easy thing to just get out of Juba. Of course, the government was very harsh on uh, those people who were getting out. But uh, we thank God that by his grace, uh, he brought us safely uh, after Uganda. After arriving in Baroli camp, God intervened in Richard's life and Richard became a follower of Jesus. Richard became hungry to know God's word. In 2015, Richard returned to Juba to support a local ministry and become a church planter. Peace was short-lived. In July of 2016, the war returned. The earlier fighting in 2013 paled in comparison to the violence now being displayed in 2016. Richard again had to make the treacherous journey out of Juba. The war in South Sudan is a result of long-standing tensions between two primary tribes, the Dinka and the Nuer. These tribes have unique physical characteristics that set them apart, mainly their height. Both Dinka and Nuer people are tall in stature. Richard's height led many to suspect he was one of the warring tribes, making his escape all the more difficult. There were many checkpoints along the road. And in each border point, at least after succeeding in all the questions, you have to pay some money. After being forced to pay all the bribes to exit his country, Richard finally arrives back in Uganda. After reaching the border, he received word that the group that left Juba immediately after him were slaughtered along the way. The war that is happening in South Sudan is because our people doesn't know of who God is. God's call upon Richard's life was unmistakable. He knew his people needed to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
In 2016, Richard planted Grace Baptist Church in Bitty Bitty Camp. He has since been a part of planting 12 different churches. Um, about Four Corners training, Abana's home, I look at my life being a local leader who is pastoring a local church, but I realize that there were many, many, many things that actually I was not doing as a local uh, leader. And it's just my prayers. I'm praying for God's grace to transform my life so that the feelings that I have, uh, the calling that I believe God is in need of using me, should be in the right way. I want to say thank you so much for the investment that you have invested in my life about uh, supporting the uh, pastor's training center and we believe that uh, God is using you to uh, support this pastor's training center to bring transformation and also to play part in fulfilling the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. God bless you. So I would ask you to pray for Richard and for the 47 other men that are planting churches and preaching the gospel in some very, very difficult, hard-to-reach areas. I don't know how much of that you could, you could catch and how much of that you, you were able to capture, but one of the things that's amazing about, about Richard's story is this is a man who's been a believer for four years, and God's already used him to plant 12 churches in those camps in Africa. God is doing some amazing things, and, and, and I am appreciative of your investment in me as pastor and your trust to allow me to go and to be a part of what God is doing there. So continue to pray for me and continue to pray for these pastors, if you would, please. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to, to John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be spending the bulk of our, of our message this morning. But we're also going to be looking at a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Today we have the opportunity before we leave to open up the living word of the one true God and to hear from Him. It's our heart and our prayer right now that God would speak to us through His Spirit and through His Word. And so for that reason, I hope that you've brought a copy of God's Word with you. But if you have not, there are complimentary copies of the Bible in the pew racks in front of you. And so we invite you to please take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. We are in a series entitled, Be Disciples, Make Disciples. And today's discipleship truth, as David mentioned a few minutes ago, is that disciples bear fruit. And so before we read the scripture passage, I want us to review very briefly where we have been so far. And what we've seen over the last two weeks is that the testimony of the New Testament is this, that Jesus Christ came to save people from their sins and to call those same people into a discipling relationship with Him. Christ does not call people just to be saved, to be relieved of their burden of sin, and to get assurance that they have a home in heaven and then leave them on their own until it's time for them to go. Christ calls people not only to believe in the gospel and to believe in Him as Savior, but to also enter into a discipling relationship. We said that the word disciple is used over 260 times in the New Testament, whereas the word Christian is only used three times. So it's very clear that the, the will of God is for us to be disciples. And a disciple is simply a learner. The word disciple means one who learns or who attaches himself to someone else 
in order to learn to live like them, to do what they do. And so when we're called to be disciples of Jesus, we're called to enter into a personal relationship with Christ in which we learn of Him and we learn to do what He does. So we gave you this definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who is being transformed by the gospel, someone who is learning and growing to be like Christ, and someone who is on mission to make other disciples. This is what we mean by what it, to, to be disciples. It means that we have entered into a relationship with Christ through receiving, believing the good news, repenting of our sins. We are being transformed by that gospel each and every day. And as so, we are learning and growing to be more like Christ in the way we think, in the way we, in the way we act, in the things that we say. We're growing to be more like Him. And as a result, we are also like Christ on mission to make other disciples. So far, we've seen two truths, and the first of those is that disciples are those who follow, those who follow Jesus. But we also said that disciples are those who grow. Disciples, because they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're in a, they're in a spiritual growth, they're in a transformation from what they used to be to what Christ has called them to be, and so it's the nature of disciples to grow. And because of that, that brings us to today's topic, which is that it's the nature of disciples to bear fruit for God. To bear fruit for God. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. How many of you like peaches? Does anybody in here like peaches? I'm talking like Alabama peaches, okay? A few of you do, some of you don't. I'm not a huge peach fan, but, but if I'm going to eat a peach, I want one of these peaches that comes in Alabama, only in Alabama, basically around June and July because they are good. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you are hungry and you are walking through a field and suddenly you come across a peach orchard. And as you come across that peach orchard, you look out and you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of peach trees. But as you look across that orchard, what you see are hundreds of dry, fruitless, brittle peach trees. You see hundreds of trees in this orchard, but what you see are basically brown trees and sticks, but no leaves and no fruit. You would call that a barren orchard. It's full of trees, but you aren't, you aren't satisfied with what you see. You aren't drawn to go and grab something to eat and to nourish you because what you see is a, is a barren orchard of peach trees. But contrast that with coming up on that orchard, and when you look out over that orchard, you see hundreds of trees that are, that are lush and green and filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bright red ruby peaches. And immediately you are drawn to, I need to go down there, I need to grab one of those peaches, I want to eat that, I want to, I, want to, I want to partake of that. You are drawn to that. And the reason for that is, is that fruitful trees are, are, are nourishing, they're life-giving, but barren trees are not. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again that it's the nature of those who are connected to Christ to bear fruit. And we're going to see this in just a few minutes as we're going to see the difference between good trees and bad trees. Now, we did a subject, a, a, a sermon series on the subject of spiritual fruit last year, and we had a lot to say about the subject of fruit bearing then, but I want us to revisit one of those texts to help us to see that fruitfulness is a mark of genuine 
discipleship. As a matter of fact, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will bear fruit. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus, you will bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit takes different forms in different seasons in each and every disciple. And your spiritual growth journey is going to look very different than mine. But one thing that is true is that disciples bear fruit. And that people who claim identification with Jesus but never bear outward evidence of that are false disciples. You can say all you want to that you believe in Jesus, that you believe the Bible, that you believe Jesus rose from the dead. But if there's no genuine outward evidence of connectivity to Christ, then chances are you are a false disciple because it's the nature of true disciples to bear fruit. Now, for some people, it may take a little bit longer for that to happen. For some people, there may be a period of dormancy in their spiritual life and their spiritual development where where maybe they're not quite following Jesus like they did when they first became a Christian. And because of that, there's not a lot of fruit. But it's the nature of those who are attached to Jesus to bear fruit for Christ. And so I want us to return to a text that we read before last year, but I think is massively important if we're ever going to understand what God's purpose is for our life. And no passage best declares the, the, the idea of disciples bearing fruit than John chapter 15. So I want us to read the first 17 verses. We're going to look at a couple of verses strategically in just a minute. But I want us to see what Jesus says to his disciples. This is on the night before he is crucified and he's about to leave them. He's telling them about the very nature of what it means to follow him from this point on. John 15 verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear what? Fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear what? More fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. There's the word again. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, look at this verse, that you bear much fruit, And so prove to be my, what? Disciples. There it is. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment. You love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. This is an invitation into a relationship with him. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear what? Fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. 
These things I command you, that you will love one another. So how many times does Jesus use the word fruit in those verses? Multiple times. I think it's very clear that Jesus is establishing to his disciples this truth that disciples who are connected to Jesus are going to bear fruit. So what is spiritual fruit? We've defined it many different ways, but the primary way that we've defined fruit is that fruit is the evidential marker of the true condition of our hearts. Fruit is the redemptive purpose of our lives. It's the reason God saves us. Fruit is the external evidence of something that is internally a reality. And the concept of bearing fruit is throughout the New Testament teachings of Jesus. We see it used in this passage, but Jesus used the word fruit. Uh, The word fruit itself is used over 60 times in the New Testament, over 39 times by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 39 different times Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he uses the word fruit as a spiritual marker, an outward evidence of relationship to him. And so I want us to see this morning three truths about the fruit of, of discipleship, if it's the nature of disciples to bear fruit, then what does the New Testament tell us about that? Three truths. Number one, the reigning spiritual reality of your life will eventually be exposed. Whatever is going on inside of your heart, whatever is going on inside of you, in your spirit, the reigning reality of your life spiritually will eventually be exposed. Now, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen. I want us to see these words. It's one of the quintessential texts that Jesus gives us to understand who belongs to Jesus and who does not. Look at these words. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by what? Its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. There's no more clear passage of Scripture in the New Testament that speaks to us about the reality that Those who are connected to Christ will bear good fruit for Jesus and those who are not will bear the bad fruit of sin and the flesh. What is the reigning spiritual reality of your heart is eventually going to be exposed in the fruit of your life. Jesus says each tree is known by its fruit. He's saying you know what type of tree a tree is by the fruit that it produces. The tree is not a tree because of its self-identification or what it claims for itself. A pear tree cannot say, I think today I've changed my mind and I want to be an apple tree. Just because it may claim to be an apple tree, eventually it's going to bear what? It's going to bear pears. It's not not what it identifies for itself. It's what the tree produces that determines what kind of tree it is. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be going to Africa into a country with incredible indigenous vegetation that we don't normally see here in Alabama. Growing up in this area, many of us can identify things such as an oak tree 
or a pecan tree because we've grown up around those. I remember growing up as a little boy, my, my grandfather had a pecan tree in his backyard that we used to climb and we used to love to go out and gather pecans every fall when the pecans came down. And because I spent so much time in my grandfather's pecan tree, I can identify a pecan tree because I, I know what it looks like because I have experience with pecans on the ground to know that tree is a pecan tree. And so I can say that's a pecan tree even if it hasn't borne pecans yet. I can identify that. Same thing with an oak tree. When you see acorns on the ground and you realize, okay, this is, this is an oak tree and you, you, can, you can see that. But when I go to Africa, there are a lot of trees there that I've never seen before. One of the trees in Africa that's very, very interesting, I wish I had a picture of it, maybe, maybe I'll take one when I'm on my trip this time, is, is called a sausage tree. And it's an incredibly tall tree. It probably grows 25, 30 feet and it's called a sausage tree because hanging down from the tree are these giant gourds that are sometimes around a foot to two feet long, very, very thin, and they look like a giant summer sausage that you would buy at like Hillshire Farms in the mall. Except these things weigh like 30 pounds. And you're just looking up at this tree and, you're, and it looks like somebody has taken a bunch of sausages and tied them to a tree to dry out. I don't really know much about it. I know that elephants love to eat the sausage off the sausage tree because they told us that on the safari, that they'll go up there and pull them down and eat them. But I've never seen a sausage tree until I went to Africa, and, and I didn't know what it was when I first saw it. And I said, what type of tree is that? And the guy said, that's a sausage tree. And I went, oh, that's, that looks like sausage. Okay, that, that. Now, it's not making sausage. It's not real sausage, but it looks like that. Another interesting tree in Africa is, is, is a tree called a jackfruit tree. Any of you ever seen jackfruit before? Okay, I've never seen it before. It grows in other parts of the world. But again, it's one of these massive trees, and in the top of the tree, there are these giant melons that look somewhat like a watermelon, except they're elongated, and they're huge, and they can sometimes grow to be 20 to 30 pounds. And my friend Myron, who lived over there for a while, told me that it's very bitter. He didn't like jackfruit, but the Ugandans, they love it. They love to knock it down and eat it. And so I've never eaten it because the missionaries over there say it's not very good. But, but when I was walking on our property, I'm looking up at these huge trees with these giant watermelon-looking things. I said, why did they put watermelons up in that tree? And it's because it's called a jackfruit tree. Well, the people in Africa know that because they, they, they can identify the tree by the fruit. Fruit is the evidential marker of what that tree is. It helps us to know what it is. But Jesus is not only talking about you know a tree because of the fruit that it produces, but he's also talking about the health of the tree. Notice that he says in Luke chapter 6, he talks about good trees and bad trees. Good trees are life-giving. They, they produce abundant, healthy fruit that nourishes, but bad trees are not healthy. Bad trees may appear alive on the outside, but they don't have sustainable life on the inside. And the evidence that the tree is not healthy is by the quality and the type of fruit it produces. So go back to that. I told you about my grandfather's pecan tree. Several years ago, that pecan tree began to be diseased and unhealthy. And the, and, and the way we knew that there was a problem with the pecan tree was how? Because it stopped producing pecans. Over a course of 10 years, it would very rarely produce pecans. When it did, they would be very small. They wouldn't be edible. They wouldn't be worth anything. 
And over time, the tree began to, it just grew old, it just grew diseased, it died, and it no longer produces pecans. Now, it's still in the backyard where my brother lives. That tree is still there. It hasn't fallen down, but it's not a healthy tree. And we know it's not because it no longer produces the pecans. Again, fruit is the outward evidence of an internal reality. And what this means when it comes to Jesus and the gospel is simply this. Sooner or later, the reigning spiritual reality of your life will be exposed. Whatever is happening on the inside spiritually will eventually become evident on the outside. Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 6, whatever is controlling your heart will come out. Now, some people in the church ascribe to the philosophy, just fake it till you make it. But that doesn't work spiritually. Because you can fake connection to Jesus Christ for a little while. You can go to church. You can stream worship songs in your car. You can talk the right Christian lingo. You can show up for mission projects. And you can be a a perfect example of good moral choices. But if all of that is just an outward attempt to add religion to your life, it will not produce real spiritual fruit and it will not transform anything inside of you. Whatever is the true reigning reality of your life eventually will be exposed over time. Out of the good treasure of his heart, Jesus says, the good tree produces good. Out of the bad treasure... He produces bad. You cannot produce something that isn't in your heart. And so if there's no genuine attachment to Christ inside, there will be no lasting spiritual fruit on the outside. Which brings us to the second truth. And this goes back to John chapter 15, verse 16. And that is this. Genuine disciples give outward and lasting evidence of union with Christ. Genuine disciples, true disciples, give outward, external, and lasting evidence of union with Christ. Again, look at verse 16 in John chapter 15. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Jesus reminds his disciples that we did not initiate our journey into discipleship. We didn't start the journey with Jesus. Jesus chose us first. And the reason for that is because submission and surrender to another sovereign king is not natural for sinful hearts. Submission and surrender to to another is not natural for sinful hearts. And the fallen human heart does not naturally bow the knee to another. And so Jesus initiates our salvation by sending His Spirit to us to quicken our hearts, to awaken us to our need for the gospel, to call us to belief and faith and repentance. But Jesus goes even further than that. He said, I chose you, but I also appointed you for one primary reason, and that reason is to what? To go and bear fruit. Jesus redeemed us. He saved us. He bought our spiritual transformation from spiritual death to spiritual life for one reason. And that reason was so that we could use our story of transformation as a canvas on which to display the glory of salvation. Jesus chose us and He saved us, not so that we can have some future home in heaven 50 years from now, 
He chose us and saved us that we would go and bear fruit in the places that we live right now, that we would be a canvas of the power of the transformation of the gospel in the places where he has sent us. He chose us so that we would go and bear fruit. And this is what divides cultural Christianity from genuine disciples. And that is the evidential presence of lasting and abiding relationship with Jesus. You see, when Christian is just a cultural label which you have adopted, then your personal spiritual emphasis becomes keeping up the right spiritual appearance. When when the word Christian is nothing more than just an external identifying marker, then what happens is is that you, you quickly learn what's expected of a Christian in order to keep up appearances. Cultural Christians use the right religious terminology. They define being a Christian as publicly advocating the right political platforms. And for cultural Christians, the church is something they attend based on personal convenience rather than a family or a spiritual body to which they belong. Cultural Christians grow up in the church slowly being inoculated through the good news of the gospel because they hear the right stuff, but it never actually penetrates the stony ground of their hearts. But Jesus counters the message of cultural Christianity with the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't connect us to some impersonal man upstairs, but he calls us to fall on our knees and surrender to the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. The gospel declares to you and me that good enough isn't good enough. And that it tells us that all the religious varnish in the world cannot cover our sins and cannot awaken a dead spiritual heart. Genuine disciples, those who belong to Christ, will eventually give outward and lasting evidence of that union with Christ. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves in order to be raised to new life in Christ. Do you remember what Paul said in the book of Galatians when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer what live. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is declaring there is what we call the doctrine of union with Christ. Likewise, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? That means you have been united to Jesus Christ. You have died spiritually when you came to faith in Him. You surrendered your life to Him. The old man died. You have been raised a new person. And now you are one with Jesus Christ. And the result of that is that genuine disciples will give outward and lasting evidence of that union with Christ. Disciples bear fruit, and when there's no fruit, there's no discipleship. So let's talk for a second about what is spiritual fruit. How do we begin to see that in an external way? What does that look like in the life of a disciple? How do we look at someone and say, I believe that person is bearing the fruit of discipleship? Well, there's a lot of different ways that we can define that, but one of those we see in Galatians chapter 2, verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 23, and I would just call it redeemed affections and desires. 
redeemed affections and desires. Now, if you are familiar with Galatians chapter 5, you know that Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What is Paul talking about there? Paul is saying that when you come into union with Jesus Christ, that Christ puts His Spirit inside of you. And that when the Spirit comes to reside inside of a person, what the Spirit does is the Spirit begins to redeem and renew our affections and desires so that we no longer pursue the works of the flesh, things like immorality and impurity and dissensions and anger. Our life is no longer marked by those because we're not selfish, self-centered people like we once were. Instead, our affections and our desires are being changed so that we become people that instead of, instead of being markers of immorality and impurity and anger, instead we're people who give evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. What is that? That's redeemed affections and desires. So the more you walk with Christ and the longer you walk with Christ, Christ not only redeems your, 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 your spirit, but He also redeems your affections and your desires. Another form of spiritual fruit is found in Hebrews chapter 13, and it is speech that glorifies and praises God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the presence of Christ changes the way that we speak and it creates lips whose purpose is to continually acknowledge the name of Jesus we all give glory and praise to someone or something because what we love most controls what comes across our lips and what we give praise to. David spoke of that just a second ago when he talked about how you like to share good news. You like to praise things. You like to glory in good things. You, t- next week, some of us will glory in football victories. Some of us will not glory in football victories. But either way, we give glory to the things that, that we find value in. And it's, it's the life of a person connected to Christ to exhibit speech that glorifies and praises God, continually offering up praise to Him. But then in John chapter 4, we also see another form of spiritual fruit, and that is making other disciples. Making other disciples is a form of spiritual fruit. Evangelism and disciple-making is a way that we give external evidence of our connection to Christ. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Samaria, said, There are four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are wide unto harvest. And already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal Life. This gathering fruit for eternal life is attached to proclaiming the gospel and making other disciples. This means someone who commits to being a disciple will make other disciples. Someone who shares the gospel with others and commits to being a person who invests the gospel in the life of other people. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Next week we're going to talk about one of the marks of a disciple is not only do they bear fruit for God, but we're going to look at this very subject, that disciples reproduce, they replicate, they make other disciples. 
But finally, I want us to see this truth, and that is that bearing fruit for Christ is the byproduct of an ongoing relational connectivity to Him. Bearing fruit for Christ is a product, a byproduct of ongoing relational connectivity to Christ. We see this in John 15, verses 4 through 5. Again, very clear. We read this a second ago. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus cannot make it any clearer. You cannot bear fruit for Christ if you are not attached to and abiding in him. Apart from Jesus, you and I can do what? Nothing. We can bear nothing of spiritual value in our life apart from Jesus Christ. Now, nothing is an interesting word in the Greek. It means this. It means nothing. (laughs) Apart from Christ, we can do nothing of spiritual value. It means that all of our personal religious posturing without intimate relational connectivity to Christ is useless, void, and empty. You can put on the religious mask, you can show up at church, you can do all the right things, you can use all the right vernacular, you can show up at mission projects, you can do good things, you can can help little old ladies across the road like a good boy scout, you can do all those things, but they count of no spiritual value if you are not connected to Jesus Christ, because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It may fool other people for a little while, And it may comfort your personal guilt for a little while. And it may give you a secure religious blanket that helps you to identify as a Christian. But if anything we do in the Christian life is separated from an ongoing relational connection to Christ, it is useless, it is worthless. And the truth will eventually be made evident in the spiritual fruit that you bear or that you don't bear. Because what's true of the tree internally will eventually be made manifest externally. I thought about this. Do you ever wonder why there are so many people who seem to drift and don't seem to last in church? You ever wonder that? They came to youth group when they were young. They used to come to youth group every week and they sang songs with their hands raised and their eyes closed. Or maybe they were the perfect Christian family for a couple of years. Good-looking mom and dad, two blonde-headed children sitting on the pew. And they, they came to church almost every Sunday, and then they began to drift. And a few years later, they stopped coming to church as much. They were just too busy. And later on, you find out that their marriage fell apart and they filed for divorce, or their public life became more consumed by personal indulgence than private devotion to Christ. What happened? What happened to those people that at one time used to come to church and used to sing the songs and used to come to the Sunday school class, but now there seems to be no interest in the things of God whatsoever in their life? What happened is that what was true internally eventually became evident externally. And they may have checked all the right boxes for a while, but if there was no real connection to Christ, it became evident in the long run. There was no ongoing walking with the Spirit. There was no spiritual intimacy with Christ. There was no commitment to His Word. And so what was controlling the tree on the inside eventually began to come on the outside because bearing fruit for Christ 
is the natural and ongoing byproduct of relational connectivity to Jesus. Disciples are people who walk with Jesus. Disciples are people who follow Jesus. Because disciples are people who follow Jesus, they naturally grow. And because they grow, they eventually bear fruit. And so here's the takeaway I want you to have today before we leave, and that is simply this. God is not calling me to try harder. God is calling me to abide deeper. I do not want you to leave here today hearing the message that it's the nature of disciples to bear fruit and then to go out and say, okay, I got to start doing more. I got to start coming to church more because I feel guilty. I got to start doing this. I got to start, I got to start giving more money to the church. I don't want you to try harder. I want you to abide deeper because fruit is the natural byproduct of people who are relationally and intimately connected to Jesus Christ. Go back to that illustration of my, my grandfather's pecan tree for a second. When my grandfather's pecan tree stopped producing pecans, I didn't go out to the tree and begin to make it feel guilty and said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're a pecan tree, and you used to give me all kinds of good pecans. Now you're not giving me anything. I can't believe you. I'd be embarrassed to be out here in this backyard in front of all these other trees if I was a tree like you. I didn't do that. Number one, because it was an inanimate object. It wouldn't have done any good anyway. But you don't produce fruit by trying harder. You produce fruit by abiding with Christ deeper. Because disciples are people who follow Jesus. They've surrendered their heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They say, wherever He leads, I'll go. I want to follow Him because He's going on the path of eternal life, and that's where I want to be. Because disciples follow Jesus, it's the nature of disciples to grow, to change, to become more like Him. And as disciples grow and change and become more like Him and begin to abide in Christ, as a result, disciples bear fruit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And this morning, the invitation is simply this. I don't know what the reigning spiritual reality of your life is. I really don't even know what's going on with your life and the spiritual fruit that you're bearing. I see you come to church. I see you put on a, the right religious mask. I see all kinds of good things. But I don't really know about the fruit that's being produced in your life. But the Holy Spirit does. The Lord Jesus Christ does. And the question is this. Are you bearing fruit for Christ? Are you bearing the external evidence of an ongoing, submitted, personal, relational connection to Jesus Christ? You can't try harder. You can only produce fruit by trusting Christ deeper. And maybe this morning what you need is not some guilt-ridden message that tells you that you need to do more, but maybe what you need to do is just come and surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you need to start by being connected to the vine in the first place. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. If you need to be saved today, if you need to trust Christ for salvation, if you need to, to be a bad tree that needs to be transformed by the gospel into a good tree this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. You come talk to me or one of our decision counselors. Or maybe you want to talk to me after church and say, Pastor Matt, I'm not real sure where I stand with Christ. I, I need to talk to somebody about that today. Whatever it is, do not leave today without knowing that you are connected to the Lord Jesus. You can come this morning for prayer. You can come for anything that the Lord has laid on your heart, but you come as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we thank you so much. 
that you have called us into a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that as we do that, the natural outflow of that is that we're going to bear fruit that glorifies you, that brings praise to you, that brings attention to you. So help us to be an orchard of fruitful, life-giving trees in this place today. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Call us to whatever you've called us to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Respond as the Lord leads you. We love